Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Good Lion Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Salvato, and today I'm excited to bring you an episode that contains some content that was left on the cutting room floor of a recent sermon. That's that's really the beauty of this whole podcasting thing. When you're doing a sermon, you have so much content. You're, you're preparing and you're studying and you're getting inspired, and sometimes things don't make it into the message because you only have so much time. And as I was preparing this message, which was on the previous episode, about crying out to God as our Father, I started to explore this idea of repentance and the the part about repentance just didn't make it into the sermon I, I actually had it in my notes but I ended up spending more time than I expected on some other aspects of the sermon and so I had to make a decision in the moment as I was preaching to just completely cut this entire section and skip on to the conclusion but I, I feel like the content here is valuable and helpful so I want to share it on this episode And really what this episode is going to be about is the idea of as Christians, it's so easy for us to come to God only when we want to escape the consequences of our sin, rather than coming to him with a genuinely broken heart of repentance. And so in this episode, I want to remind you that a true desire for repentance and change must come from a deep sense of sorrow for our sin and a recognition of the ways in which it's hurt God and others. I'm also going to talk about how having a broken heart for our sin is essential for our spiritual growth and intimacy with God. I want to encourage you to be honest with God about your sin and trust in his forgiveness and grace. I want to challenge us to take a hard look at our own hearts and to seek God's help in asking him to actually break our hearts because as uncomfortable as it is to face our own darkness, I found it to be absolutely vital and essential. I hope that this will inspire and encourage you on your own spiritual journey. And so let's get into the episode. In Psalm 86, David, in a moment of anguish and anxiety and fear, cries out to his father, God, and he prays, Hear me, Lord, bow down your ear, O Lord, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy, I am dedicated to you. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Make my soul glad, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. You, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. I want to stop and I want to focus on this idea of God being ready to forgive. Ready to forgive. How many of us can honestly say that we are always ready to forgive, that we just have forgiveness locked and loaded when somebody wrongs us? Far too often we make our default posture a refusal to forgive, a willingness to hold a grudge against somebody else and make them pay for what they've done to us. But that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is he is ready to forgive. And something I've been thinking through on this subject is how often do we take advantage of this forgiveness? How often do we hold a posture of cheap grace? Cheap grace. 
That's a term that was coined by theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the late great Dietrich Bonhoeffer, to describe this false idea that forgiveness and salvation can be obtained without a true interchange or commitment to living a righteous life. What that means is basically you go to God and say, hey, give me my get out of jail free card. But don't expect me to change, Lord. Don't expect me to change anything about who I am or, or what I want to be. No, Lord, you're the genie in the bottle who's here to make my life better and to save me from hell. When in reality, this cheap grace exposes us to the hell on earth that we create by our own sin. I would argue that this theology of cheap grace is misguided and dangerous because it promotes a complacent attitude towards sin and wrong. If people believe that they can just continue to engage in sin without consequence, then what need do people in that state think that they have for Christ? Even if you've drinking poison, if you don't think it's poison, you're not seeking the cure. The theology of cheap grace undermines the very essence of the gospel message of redemption and salvation. In the way of Jesus, there's this beautiful paradox that we find that shows us that salvation is not something that we can earn. It's not something we get because of what we do. It's a free gift that we receive, freely given, freely received. But the notion that we don't actually have to do anything is false. And I don't mean that we save ourselves. No, what I mean is that if you're holding on to an anchor and it's causing you to sink to the bottom of the ocean, and then Jesus comes and outstretches his hand and says, let me save you, you have to let go of the anchor. You can't hold on to the anchor of sin and the anchor of Christ. You have to choose one or the other. The theology of cheap grace undermines these ideas and promotes this complacent attitude towards wrongdoing, which is detrimental to our very souls. When we hold on to this idea of cheap grace, it shows that we don't truly see God as a father. Because what does a father do? A father, a good father, holds a child accountable. He says, hey, you can't do that. <laughs> When my one-year-old son, Jack, wants to jump off to the couch face first into the corner of the coffee table, I hold him accountable and I say, Jack, I love you, but you can't do that. I won't allow you to do that. But the question is, do we want God to tell us what to do? Do we want Jesus, King Jesus, to actually have the authority that a king has on our life. I, I would argue, as C.S. Lewis argues, we don't actually want a father, we want a grandfather, a doting old grandfather. Because think about it, right? Is the grandfather the one laying down the rules? No, the grandfather's usually the one handing out the candy and the birthday cards with money in it. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, he says, we want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven, but a grandfather in heaven, a senile benevolent who, as they say, likes to see the young people enjoying themselves and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. We just want a God who affirms us and says we're good and we don't need to change and we're fine just the way we are and we're a work in process and at the end of the day, it's all going to be fine and all that matters is that we had a good time. But this is not the God of the Bible. 
And this is not the God that we should want. If my idea of having a good time is drinking poison, I don't want a God who supports my idea of a good time. I want a God who's like a doctor who says, I won't rest until every bit of that cancer is removed from your system. Psalm 51:17 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What this is talking about is God's desire. What he wants from us is a broken heart over sin. And why is that? Does God just want us to respect his list of rules? No, I've said over and over again, it's not about some arbitrary list of rules. It's about sin as a dark, diseased, destructive force that is out to destroy mankind and rip God's kingdom and family apart. And God wants us to take that seriously. He wants us to see our sin as the foreign enemy it truly is. I have friends right now who are in Ukraine, missionaries in Ukraine, and they're dealing with Russia invading their country, Vladimir Putin invading their country and violently taking it. Women and children killed, men, good men crushed by the Russian army, cities destroyed, buildings toppled. It's, it's, it's a nightmare. And one of my missionary friends said to me, I just don't understand why more people don't care. There's so many people that are just in other countries like America and they hear about what's going on in Ukraine and they just say, oh, wow, that's sure is bad, but they don't feel it the way we do. They don't experience it the way that we do. Watching people that we know, loved ones, family members, people in our country being killed, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's terrible. And that's, that's what God feels. He sees this great war between good and evil. And every time that we give into sin, we're pledging allegiance to the other side, the other army. And God's heart breaks and he just wants us to understand why, why don't you see it the way I do? Why don't you see sin as something that's actually killing, destroying, stealing joy from the hearts and souls of other humans? When you sin, why don't you acknowledge that this is a terrible wrong that has been committed? Now consider this, there's different stages of acknowledgement of wrong. My son Jack is one years old and he does not have the knowledge of good and evil. That's just the reality. Like at one years old, he, he doesn't have a moral compass. Like Jack could literally burn down a hospital and feel no remorse. I don't know exactly what things would have to happen in order for that to come about. There'd probably have to be a lot of prep work by an outside party. Someone would have to douse the hospital in gasoline and then bring my son near the hospital, light a match, hand it to my son, and then hope that my son would throw the match at the hospital. This is where my weird youth pastor brain kicks in here. It's a very far-fetched analogy. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is my son could throw that match The hospital could go up in flames and he would feel no remorse. Why? Is it because my son is a psychopath? No, it's because he's a baby. He doesn't have the knowledge of good and evil. And this could be compared to the idea of a sin of omission, where a Christian sins but doesn't quite know that he's sinning. And this is the thing. I I have met 
plenty of new Christians, you know, baby Christians, they just got saved and they haven't read the whole Bible yet. They don't know every single thing that's considered a sin. And I've, I've met young Christians where they hadn't learned the truth about a certain sin and the Holy Spirit had not yet convicted their heart about that sin. And so as they were sinning, it was what is called a sin of omission. When my son makes a mess in his diaper, he doesn't really know what makes it wrong for him to just sit in his mess. All he knows is that he's uncomfortable and he wants relief from the discomfort. He wants someone to come clean him up. Now, as kids start to grow up and mature, they may get to a place where they see that they've done something wrong and they say, hey, mom, dad, I'm so sorry. But you know what? Let's just be honest because all of us were kids and we know what it was like. A lot of times the reason kids say that they're sorry is not because they're genuinely sorry. It's because they're sorry that they got caught. They're upset because they know, hey, consequences are coming. I experienced that a lot as a kid getting caught doing something wrong. I got caught lying quite often when I was a kid and my parents figured out a way to tell if I was lying or not. They actually told me that my ears wiggled whenever I lied. So anytime they thought I was lying, they said, Aaron, your ears are wiggling and I'd go, dang it, you caught me. Now, obviously the irony here is that my parents lied to me in order to prevent me from lying. <laughs> I can't wait to tell Jack that his ears wiggle when he lies and continue the cycle of treachery and lies that my family has apparently. Here's what I'm saying. What God finds to be beautiful is not when a Christian is merely uncomfortable about the condition that they find themselves in because of their sin. It's not when a Christian gets caught in their sin and cries out to God because they want their punishment to be less than what they deserve. What God actually finds to be beautiful is when a Christian understands the weight of their sin. When a Christian messes up and they're filled with remorse, this, this deep remorse, we shouldn't be afraid to say the word shame or remorse. We shouldn't be afraid to say, I failed. We're so scared of facing our own darkness in the mirror to say, I hurt my heavenly father, my father who loves me, who cares for me, who provides for me, who would never want to hurt me. I hurt him. I let him down. That's, that's a healthy feeling. It's a heavy feeling, but it's a healthy feeling. Our current cultural moment wants to teach us that we should never feel bad about anything that we do as long as we're being true to ourselves or correction as long as we're being true to ourselves while not breaking any of the current cultural norms and rules as long as we're being true to ourselves and this is a big problem for christians my age and younger Many young Christians today grew up in an environment of legalism and their answer to this issue was then to become libertines. We grew up in an environment of legalists and then we grew up to be libertines. I've seen this over and over again. Millennial and Gen Z Christians who grew up in these evangelical, sometimes fundamentalist homes and churches with all of these strict rules and regulations in their upbringing, all of a sudden they, you know, they grow up and they realize the, the horrors of legalism, but then they swing 
too far in the other direction and become libertines. This dangerous and destructive path of rejecting all rules and all boundaries and embracing a lifestyle of excess and self-indulgence. This attitude of thanks Jesus for dying for my sins. Now we eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. We need a balance of holiness. A balance of holiness. What do I mean by that? To be holy is to be dedicated to God. It doesn't mean perfection. You can't be perfect. It's impossible. But you can be dedicated. You can say, my life is not for me. It's not just for eating and drinking and gaining wealth and dying. It's about dedication to Yahweh, to Jesus, to my God. That doesn't mean you have to go and shave your head and become a monk. I'm talking about in the same vein of a marriage. I am dedicated to my wife, and so I live my life with that dedication at the forefront of my mind. It affects all of my decisions, all of my choices. I love her, and I live for her in many ways. And this is a concept that we all understand, to be dedicated to something, a purpose, a cause, someone. Why is it often so hard for us to be dedicated to God. I'm not just saying that to you, I'm saying it to me. Why is it so hard for myself to have that dedication? Why am I so easily distracted by other things? We avoid legalism and we become libertines and we take our cue from a culture that doesn't even teach us to hide our sin anymore. No, the culture teaches us that we should take pictures of our sin and post it on social media because self-expression is the highest virtue. And that's what we think brings affirmation. That's what we think fills this hole in our hearts. And God looks at us with the tender heart of a father, not a heart of anger, but a heart that wants us to understand the weight of sin the poison of sin, the reality that our sin has the potential to destroy our very lives. You can have a saved soul, but you can still unleash hell into your life and your family and your friendships if you don't understand the weight of your sin. Right now, the electric sockets in my house are baby-proofed. If I didn't put up those protections, my son would definitely be sticking his fingers into the electric sockets. I don't know if you've ever stuck your finger inside an electric socket, but it's not good. It's even worse if you stick a fork or something else in there. You can actually die. If my son was trying to stick something in an electric socket, if he was trying to stick something metal into an electric socket, I would absolutely try to stop him. In that moment of me trying to stop my son from sticking something metal into the electric socket, consider the question, what is my goal? What am I trying to do? What do I want in that moment? For one, I don't want him to feel discomfort from the results of his mistake of sticking a fork into an electric socket and experiencing an electric shock. I don't, I don't want him to go through that. But my goal is not merely for him to just feel the discomfort of being grabbed and pulled away from something that he wants and told no, and that will happen. When I pull my one-year-old away from something that he desperately wants and I tell him no, he cries, he screams at me sometimes, he gets angry. That's going to happen. 
But that's not my end goal. That's not why I'm doing it. My goal isn't for my son to say, I'm sorry, daddy, I won't do it again, and then secretly go off and plan on how he can secretly get away with doing it again behind my back. That's not my goal either. My goal is that I want him to understand. I want him to know in his bones what happens if you stick your finger in the electric socket. I want him to know and understand it deeply. I want him to absorb into his heart and his soul and his mind that this action can lead to death. I don't just want him to feel discomfort. I don't want him to just feel sorry that he got caught. I want him to know the truth. That is the heart of our Father. That is the heart of God the Father. And so ask yourself, when was the last time that you prayed to God and you said, God, have mercy on me? Not because you were uncomfortable with the uncomfortable situation that you put yourself in, not because you wanted to lessen your consequences, but because you understood the weight of your sin and it broke your heart. That is the heart that is needed. If you don't have that heart, ask God for it because he is ready to forgive. And I'm going all the way back to the very beginning of this message. He is ready to forgive, but we must hold that forgiveness, that readiness to forgive properly, not as this idea of, oh, God is my genie in my bottle to get me out of my situation and there's infinite wishes. Not, oh, God is my grandfather in the sky who just wants me to have a good time and he's just here to forgive my sins and pat me on the back and say it's all good. No, we must understand that he bled and died and hung on a cross for the very sins we ask forgiveness for. He was the God who was not willing to live without us and so he died so that he could be with us and we could be with him. That's true love. And that, that is incredible to me. You would think that after dying for somebody, God would just say, all right, I did my part. I died. Now it's up to you. Now it's up to you. Now you need to go and live a perfect life. I did my part. Now you do yours. I mean, think about it. He died for people that hated him and spat in his face and didn't even give him the time of day. He died for people that cursed him. But that's not the posture of God to say, I did my part, now you do yours. No, he is ready to forgive. But he wants you to understand the weight of your sin. He wants you to view it as the poison, as the deadly thing that it is. He wants you to realize that every time you willingly sin, you are pledging allegiance in that moment, even for just a moment, to the forces of darkness that have the mission to kill, steal, and destroy. And King Jesus wants your allegiance. He doesn't want you to pledge it to anyone else. He is such a loving, gentle father. He is so ready to forgive, but he wants you to understand the deadliness of sin. He wants you to absorb into your heart, into your mind, into your soul, the weight of sin. I want to encourage you, ask God for that heart. Do all you can to mentally shift in your mind about how you approach sin. 
and then commit yourself to following the way of Jesus. Commit yourself to staying on that path of righteousness. And then when you fall, and you will, (laughs) you absolutely will, when you fall, realize that Jesus is right there alongside you with his hand outstretched saying, hey, get back up, let's keep walking together. He is ready to forgive. Thanks for listening to the Good Lion Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find our show. The show is brought to you by Calvary Global Network, a family of churches working together to proclaim the gospel, make disciples, and plant churches. It's produced by me, Aaron Salvato, and my co-host, Brian Higgins, and is a part of Good Lion Ministries. Our goal is to help young Christians navigate the postmodern, post-Christian age. We create podcasts, sermons, videos, and resources to help people on their journey in the way of Jesus. To check out our resources, visit our website at goodlion.org. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us next time as we continue to seek and follow the God who is not safe, but is very, very good.